0: Welcome to podcast number 14 on depression and bipolar and what to expect during treatment and recovery. Part two, uh, the affected. Now last week we discussed treatment and recovery from the perspective of those who are actually afflicted with the disease and what they would expect during that process. Now for those of us who are supporting the afflicted, who I like to call the affected individuals, this podcast is for us. The intent is to help us understand what to expect of the treatment and recovery process from the support side, you or you well, we are going to have a substantial role to play during the treatment and recovery and maintenance process. And from my own personal perspective, we will have a critical part to play in the success of the treatment and recovery plan. Now, given that depression is a disease that affects reality, the afflicted are not going to be able to see the changes that we'll be able to see. And that is going to be one of our main goals is to help them see what they cannot. Now I consider myself one of the both afflicted and affected as I have uh, many family members who are also very much afflicted with this particular disease, including my wife. Now being a support person or someone who is affected by the disease is, is more often a daunting, difficult, and simply thankless responsibility. It takes time, serious effort, both mentally and physically, and can be a serious challenge emotionally. When we get close to someone, we often feel their pain and frustrations, suffering, and even, yes, we can feel their depressions. I think, that's, I think it's called emotional transference. In any case, the deep connection between individuals is going to cause some significant difficulties during the treatment and recovery process. There are going to be times when you are likely going to need to be persistent, almost to the point of annoyance. In almost every sense, you're really taking care of two lives. Yours and the life of the afflicted. And both of those lives are going to need significant attention. The burden is going to be real and it's going to be real heavy at times. So the first thing that I like to talk about is you're going to need to find some help. Someone you can trust to help you and afflicted through the process. Now, there's probably already somebody in the picture and maybe there's more one of you already. But you're going to need some extra help. Now, the person or better yet, even people you bring into the situation are going to have to know everything about what's happening with the treatment. So it's going to be important that the afflicted know them and are, are comfortable with them. You may need someone who's a little bit more detached for the moments when things are going to get a little tough. Sometimes when we get close and love those individuals, we have those moments of emotional transference where it's just easier to say, well, okay, just this once, you can do it just this once. You need someone to keep you honest about the situation and who might be in the moment a little more rational. What you're undertaking is the saving of someone's life, or what we're undertaking is the saving of someone's life who doesn't understand the danger, reality, or even sometimes that their life is is need-saving. Even when I had accepted my own illness and was working through the treatment process, I still didn't fully understand the gravity of the situation. Looking back, I am grateful for the support of those who did understand it. Now, you might not know much about the disease, so the first thing to do is a little research. The internet has some high-quality, well-informed websites, and it is good to get a genuine perspective and understanding of the disease. Most of these sites will be sites such as the National Institute of Mental Health, WebMD, and so forth. The previous podcasts can give you some insight as well, and you might even try other people who have worked through the treatment and recovery process. The more you know, the better you'll be at seeing the signs and addressing the issues. Now, you don't have to become a psychologist. You don't have to go to school. But you need to understand some basics of the disease and how to help through the recovery process. Now, counselors can also be a good resource for this. And this even means the counselor that's going to be treating the afflicted. They can't always give you all the information that they're talking about, but they can certainly be helpful. The treatment in this recovery process begins in the same place for both of us, both the affected and the afflicted. The recognition of the disease in its fullness, both of us have to come to that, that point in time. Support and acceptance is going to be the key component in both a diagnosis and then eventually the treatment. You should We should be aware of the signs of depression and note when they occur and when they reoccur. We are going to be a mirror for the afflicted. We'll notice the changes before they will. We'll see the signs far earlier. Learning to recognize and communicate them clearly to the afflicted will be a key element of what you do. Now, they're not, the signs are not always going to be identical, but they're always going to be similar for individuals. So you'll watch for patterns of lower activity, lethargy, sadness, emotional irritation, feelings of sickness even, pain isolation, and all those things that actually accompany this disease. During the treatment process, you can expect that the treatments will not take care of everything. Treatments don't have all the same effectiveness, and you're going to be a part of that treatment process. Our first responsibility is to help get the afflicted to accept the disease and the diagnosis. Just because a doctor said that they have a disease or an illness does not mean that a person will automatically accept it. It will depend upon cultural and family traditions, community traditions, country in which you live, and all kinds of external and even internal barriers. It is natural for the afflicted to even assume some type of cause and effect, and assign fault, and even a deserving fault in themselves. I, I know this to be true. It is going to be one of the major barriers you face. Allowing them to understand that there is no fault or blame of any kind, nor is there a cause and effect, is important. Now, for many of these individuals, there are going to be trigger moments for the person in which damage has been done by events that have occurred in their life, um, traumatic events. You may or may not know about these events. Even with the trigger events, and even if maybe they even had some type of culpability in the tr- trigger event, there's no blame for the illness. The illness should not be their deserving punishment. Illnesses need to be treated as what they are and a treatment provided based on what's best for the individual. Yes, they're going to need help with the trigger event and possibly those addictions that have occurred, but it's important that you continue to reinforce the idea of it being an illness that needs to be treated. Now, the first thing that needs to be done is is professional help. Uh, There should be a doctor of some kind to help with the treatment that is needed. Almost everyone says working with a counselor is a good first step. As I've said previously, counseling has become somewhat of a punchline in our Hollywood movies, and so there may be some resistance. Many people have some significant reservations about seeing a counselor for help. I think that, at least for me and for others that I know, this deals with the idea that you're just going to talk about their entire life and that the process may take years to help resolve it. It's better to help them understand that this isn't necessarily what counseling is about. The real intent is to provide for a diagnosis and treatment, and an understanding so that the appropriate treatment help can be provided. Once we've started the counseling process there's and there's some recognition of the disease, the individual is likely going to start to confide in you more about what's going on, as they should, about what's been happening in their life. If you are a spouse or a parent of the afflicted, you have to understand that much of what they've been doing or what they are currently doing is because of the illness and the pain and emotional distress accompanying that illness. It is not because they've fallen out of love with you or rebellious or your child is rebellious by nature. They are seeking medication, and many forms of self-medication are going to fall outside of church guidelines. They may confess things that are going to shock you, They may f- and they may make you feel angry, upset, hurt, and so forth. If I can say one thing that is most helpful to the afflicted, it is a loving approach no matter what they tell you. Accepting what they did as simply a form of self medication and not a part of who they are will go a long way in helping them to treat and manage the disease. Through the nature of depression and its naturally guilt filled consciousness, the afflicted has likely done far more to punish themselves than you ever could. Of the many individuals with whom I have spoken, all feel as though they do not deserve the mercy of the Savior, and I can tell you that by personal experience. They know fully of their mistakes and the hurt that they have caused, and they feel it every day in quantities you cannot even begin to understand. So when you start to hear those things that shock and upset you, realize that the afflicted has already affixed a punishment that has been sufficiently severe. You are going to have to understand and know the extent of the self-medication that's been going on so you can help. Many of them, many of the individuals that I have met have formed habits and chemical dependencies that are going to need attention every day much as bit as the disease itself. So as the process starts and the healing begins, turn to the Lord for help as you climb out, help them climb out of a hole that for them it feels like it has no bottom. The church also has really good resources for problems of addiction if we run into those. If you need to talk about what you've heard and the hurt and the pain, I even recommend a priesthood leadership um, talking to them and a counselor. And that could even include a Relief Society president if she's your leader they're going to maintain that confidential information and concern that you have. This might sound like a little strange that the affected might need counseling as much as the afflicted in order that you might be helpful to them, but it's very true. Mental illness is going to strain every corner of a loving relationship, whether that's a parent, child, or a spouse, or even a significant other. And when the other person with whom you confide is not able to help you, you're going to need other people. This is it is also. This is also when you're going to be grateful to have someone along with you that knows everything that is happening. Remember that you are going to need more than yourself. We talked about this to help the individual in trouble. So these other individuals are going to be critical to you. Now, once we've begin work. Now, once we've started to work through the diagnosis of the disease and the issues have been disclosed and treatment op- options have been accepted or starting, we may. Well, I have in the past noticed a significant difference in the person. Remember that the other individual is not seeing it. We need to be mirrors. It is going to be important to note the changes that we are seeing in the afflicted. They are often unable to say any changes taking place. Even noticing small changes is gonna be important. Things like, you seem happier today, you seem more ambitious. You've been talking more often, you seem more positive. You will need to help them see the changes in themselves and that the treatments are working. I'm not asking you to go above board and be dishonest about it. Just note the changes that you're seeing so that they can see them. Uh, I'm going to diverge a little bit here. A quick note about medications. Um, I've had quite a bit of experience with these. At times, they can make a significant difference in the individual pretty immediately, within a few days. Now, this is not always the case, but it does happen. This rapid improvement with the medication is almost always followed by By the individual either skipping doses or stopping completely. It may take a few weeks or even a couple of months, um, but it's going to happen. Be vigilant and help them to see that the medication is making a difference, but the medication is not a cure. When we feel good, we don't like taking medications as we feel weak. At least I did. I felt weak and helpless to a pill. That That we aren't making the difference, a little pill is. Remember that depression affects reality. And in this new reality to which... The mind adjusts fairly quickly. The disease doesn't feel as it once did. I'm not sure entirely why, except to say, and this is not any kind of official science, with me and my memories of depression, my memories were locked into the emotions of the time. Meaning when I was depressed, I could certainly recall recall all kinds of various moments of depression. But once I was not, those memories were not there. Now this caused me often to stop taking medications, and even other times reduce levels. The point of all this is that altering levels of medication can have serious consequences, and so the affected individual is going to have to be vigilant with these. For the most part, treatments including counseling, medications, altering lifestyle, can also take time to be effective and to stabilize a person. It can be very easy to get frustrated with treatments that work slowly over time, especially in the faster, cheaper, better world. And also note, when I mean stabilized, this doesn't mean that the individual will be completely back to normal. They're still going to suffer some mild effects of the depressions and the bipolar. Now, we want to, make, we want to take a pill that, that gets us better the next day or two, and then we go on with our lives. Now, when the afflicted person gets into the treatment path, it needs to be understood that it is often a longer road to recovery and high-level maintenance. For some, it may take many years. Some, they get there more quickly. The illness is frustrating that way, and it's difficult to tell what's really going to happen. For the support person, it can be just as frustrating and painful in many ways. When the team gets underway, and this team is the support team with the treatment, they must be ready for what that pathway gives and takes. The support people should expect more than a couple of stops and restarts. Expectations should include bad days, medications that don't work, treatments that aren't effective for the person you are helping, but effective for others around them, there are going to be good days and treatments that work well and a road that might twist and turn a little, developing science and a number of prayers, blessings, and divine intervention. You are also going to come to moments when you simply don't know what to do with, even with the counselor's help. Now, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, you do have that ability to ask the Lord for help. I would do so frequently. I have often asked for that. He will bring things to your mind and your heart, and I have no doubt that you will know what to do to help. Now that I've talked about the physical aspects of the disease, I want to talk more about the spiritual part of the disease. Now, I've mentioned this somewhat throughout the discussions and podcasts previously. The body needs to be really on the healing path before you start with the spiritual. Spiritual concerns are important, and the road back to spiritual independence is going to be almost as long or longer than the physical healing. Sometimes I think that it maybe the more frustrating part of the disease. We see great miracles, healings, and moments of great divine help throughout the scriptures. And I think that somehow, sometimes we think that's how the Lord works. The truth of the matter is that the Lord more often works in small and simple ways to help his children. Often these pathways may almost be imperceptible, but they have greater and more lasting impacts. I know that anyone supporting the afflicted wants them to be healed. I know this because I have been there many times with my wife and children, pleading before the Lord that he would have mercy on each one of them, and that they would not have to pass through this. I've given a multitude of priesthood blessings, and I know that the Lord sees your desires to help. He does provide that help, but not at the expense of exaltation. Sometimes, many times, we need difficult trials to make us who we need to be for the next life. Now, often those with depression and bipolar have distanced themselves from the church and its people in various ways. I've talked at length about the reasoning in many of the other podcasts. Those in a support role during treatment will need to provide spiritual opportunities as the treatment moves forward that will aid in the redevelopment of testimony and spiritual capacity. As previously noted, there may be various forms of self-medication going on, including alcohol, various types of drugs, pornography. This can include various types of food, a variety of psychological conditions, and so forth. Many of these forms of medication are going to need spiritual counseling from a bishop or other figure who can help them through the repentance process. Depression can be bad enough without the burden of sin, and sin can add a soul-crushing experience to depression. Often it is easier for the individual to simply remove themselves from the spiritual requirements just to try to deal with the depression by itself without having to be concerned about the guilt or what they should be doing right or wrong. So as the support person, it's going to be a long road to bring them back to the spiritual treasures they once felt in the covenant. Now, it's important to note that you are not often starting at ground zero with someone who has depressed and removed themselves from the church, where there's really no testimony. You're just building a testimony. You're going to start even further down where spiritual activities and testimonies have been associated with negative impacts of depression. It's going to take time for someone to return to church activity with the extra burden of negative association and self-worth issues that come from the illness. So as as we begin the support, I wouldn't necessarily expect the individual to return to full activity right away. Now it may happen and that would be wonderful. However, my experience is that it takes time, encouragement and understanding and love. It can be helpful to talk about the negative associations and help them see how the illness has caused those associations and that they really don't have a lack of testimony. But even discussing the negative impacts probably isn't necessarily going to fix everything. What the individual really needs is positive spiritual experiences. This is going to take some time, some healing on the physical side, and then reintroduction to spiritual things at a pace that makes sense. Sometimes the pace can be fairly productive and move forward, but more often than not, you will see a stop and start approach or someone who kind of slows and then at times quickens. It took me a great deal of time to reassociate positive feelings with various activities in the church. Some associations came quite quickly and others took much longer. Scripture reading actually came back very quickly, but attending meetings did not. I even still have some anxieties in groups of people Although rationally I don't have any reason for it. And I can work through the rationality fairly quickly, but the feeling's still in the background. Right now it doesn't stop me from doing what I need to do and participating in church, but it is certainly still there behind the scenes. If you have or if we have been supporting an individual before treatment begins, and as they begin working through the process, then you might already suspect about what I'm going to say. Individuals who suffer with the illness have a strong tendency not to trust their feelings about spiritual things. When I was ill, I was always looking to my wife for a second, reassuring voice that my decisions were correct. Even when I moved forward, I had a difficult time knowing whether what I was doing was what the Lord wanted. My reason for discussing this issue is that the support person or the group of people are likely going to need to be a sounding board for all kinds of decisions of spiritual nature. Now, I did very well rationally, but spiritually, I was consistently hesitant. I found the same thing when my wife began to suffer. One of the things that will need help is the assurance that they're hearing the right voice. Now, depression brings out many voices in one's head. Choosing the right one is often more agonizing than it should be. The spirit does speak to people who have depression. It is more a matter of trust. This is also very true for people who suffer with bipolar For not only do they don't trust their feelings in the depression, they can't trust them when something feels right on a high because everything feels right. So not only will you need to help them reestablish these positive feelings with spiritual matters, but you're going to have to help them distinguish the voice of the spirit. They're going to need reassurance that what they feel is correct. It takes work and time for someone who is not suffering from the illness to learn the whisperings of the spirit. When you have to take into account false positives and false negatives brought about by a mental illness, a level of difficulty increases dramatically. This is one area where you will need to be very patient during the treatment process. They might not even be able to feel and understand spiritual feelings until they are often well into treatment. Why is it important to know this? So you can reassure them and that it takes time and that it will happen. Now, I know I've covered quite a bit today in this episode and I really hope that it was more helpful and not overwhelming. I wanted to end with one more piece of important advice. Don't blame yourself for the stops and restarts, if the treatment isn't working, if the person gives up for a time or even worst case scenario. I know that you will try to do so. I have tried so in the past many times. I think it's just something we do when those we love don't respond exactly like we would like them to, even when it's for their benefit. There is no blame to be had when you're doing your best to bring comfort to the comfortless and light to those in darkness. Now, as always, remember, the Lord requires the fight. And that he can do his part. Next week, I'm going to talk about a subject that I have avoided for some time um, due to some questions I've had recently. The topic is a little controversial, and I'm good if you just want to skip it or whatever. It's fine with me. I'm going to be discussing medications as a overall topic, and then specifically prescription medications and my experience with them. The intent is not an endorsement or an unendorsement or whatever you want to say, but rather just help for those who are thinking that these medications might be options for their treatment. As part of that, discussing medications, we will discuss about self-medications and that the reality is in the form of depression, everybody medicates. And it's important to note how this works. In any case, we'll talk to you next week.